The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. We've all been zapped, as Richard from Texas calls what happened to Elizabeth Gilbert when she fell in love. And it's this magical feeling, walls that fall away, our sense of our universe and ourselves expands. There's nothing like that kind of connection. It's the drug of choice and all kinds of sonnets and balcony scenes and comedies and tragedies have been written about it. We've all been zapped. And we've all had that same love fizzle or fall apart and felt what it is to have a bruised or seemingly broken heart. And in that process of falling and breaking and everything in between, I imagine we have all probably also gleaned some lessons about love that we needed to learn, maybe that we were put on this planet to learn as part of this life. In all of it, we learn, among other things, that love isn't simple, never as simple as it looks, right? In that moment of falling or infatuation, that for it to continue in the new forms it will take over time as it evolves, and it always evolves, we have to roll up our sleeves and get to work. And we will learn all kinds of things about what being in a committed relationship over time, in those relationships where we get a chance to learn that, what it means, how to stay connected to people and what it requires of us, and how often it will involve all kinds of things, not just facing parts of them, but also facing parts of ourselves, the ones in us that need some love and untangling often. And when we're in relationship, we learn a lot of these lessons together. I reached out this week to a few folks. Some had been in long-term partnerships for as many as five decades, some for as little as two, and others in between. I wish I could have called more people because they were fantastic conversations. It was so much fun to hear what people gleaned from their life in relationship and the long journeys of love in all its forms. And it felt also like exactly what church is supposed to give us an opportunity to do, share our life stories and the wisdom and the lessons that we think we've learned, all the life hacks so that we can all get faster along the journey to happiness and wholeness. And I asked them all the simple question of what have you learned about what it means, you think, to be in a strong, good relationship. One funny thing is that no one I talked to thought that they were an expert, no matter how long they had been in the work of relationship. There was this universal humility in everybody's sharing, 
maybe, I guess, because other human beings and the mysteries of ourselves and the ever-changing nature of relationship, in fact, keeps us humble when we're really awake to it all. And in all the conversations, there were some themes. One was how important it was to appreciate one another. And more than just simple appreciation, it, it almost started to sound like this idea of cultivating a perspective of appreciation. Listening to folks as they describe this made me think immediately of this study that I read years ago about relationships, a study that correlated all the things that were present in the individuals in the relationship and then looked at how that mapped onto the health and strength and longevity of the relationship and how they found that one of the highest qualities that correlated to strength and health in a relationship, if it was present in one person, but certainly if it was present in both, was optimism. And not that they were optimistic about the marriage, but that they were optimistic, period. I suppose if you're generally optimistic, it makes sense that you would also be optimistic about the relationship and about your partner, that you'd assume the best, that you'd see the best, and that seems to help us stay connected to each other. But lest anyone listening is despairing that they aren't optimistic by nature, I think this practice of appreciation, much like the gratitude practices that are so popular right now, are popular because they can be cultivated. And cultivated in part similar to the gratitude practices because they invite us to shift our perspective. The way I think if anyone's taken a photography class or just started to take photographs more intentionally in the world, it, sort of shifts the way you look at the world, right? How you kind of step out into the world looking for beauty and looking for texture and looking for lines and shapes. And the world, it turns out, is waiting for you, waiting to be captured, waiting to be beautiful to your eyes. And people, I think we can be the same way, how we flourish under the gaze of appreciation. Hannah Hart shared as one characteristic of her marriage with Reese how regularly they thank each other, appreciate the other, not just inside, quietly, but openly and verbally. To say it, of course, she and Reese must be seeing it, right? But also looking for it. She said how they'll thank each other for doing the dishes or running an errand, not just the big stuff, these hundred things, small and large, some of which I suppose we could take for granted, and they could too, the way long relationships of any kind can often, if we're not careful, slide into taking the good for granted. But as Hannah rightly pointed out, practicing the appreciation of the other, it builds up, she said, this reservoir of goodwill, which we will need in relationship when the hard moments come, which they do. 
Indeed, I'm sure most of you have heard about how one bad experience sticks with us emotionally to the equivalent degree of, and there's debate, I don't know how you would quantify this, five to seven positive experiences so that the ratio for us to feel that a relationship is in a positive place has to be one to five, negative to positive, or one to seven. Which is to say, if you have a friendship and the ratio is one to three of good moments together and bad, or bad moments together and good moments together, your relationship is probably gonna be on the rocks pretty soon. All the reason more so why gratitude and appreciation is this incredible practice for building up that reservoir of goodwill that keeps the relationship going. So gratitude and appreciation was this theme. So thank you all for letting me share that. <laughs> Sorry, that was a dumb joke. There was this also this theme that I heard in what people shared that was around this balance between separateness and togetherness. And what I noticed is that people would talk about one, but often not the other. So focus on one or the other. And I assume it's because either one came more naturally to them or life kind of supported or didn't one or the other side of that scale. And so they were having to lean into one or the other side. So the togetherness wisdom was how you have to make time to do things that are fun together. And if it doesn't happen by itself, to intentionally cultivate shared practices or interests, book theater tickets or schedule hikes or make meals together, listening to music, that there needs to be more to being life partners than, for instance, running a household and that that can take intention. And on the other hand, you need, as my parents would always say as a mantra in their marriage, you need space in your togetherness, to quote the Lebanese Christian Khalil Gibran, which reminds me of my aunt and uncle who owned a bed and breakfast and who went to a conference one year for bed and breakfast owners of America, I guess, and heard to their horror at this conference that at least that year, bed and breakfast owners had among the highest divorce rates of any profession. And they surmised when they reflected on it, which they did very intentionally, that it was because people had this romantic notion of what it would mean to spend your time in the country running this lovely business together, except that you ran it together and you couldn't leave because your guests could come at any time. And so your world got small and you were both trapped in it with little freedom to do much else unless you were incredibly attentional about it. And it wasn't a recipe for romance, but ruin. George Miller put it this way, member here, put it this way, I have seen too many couples out there who are one individual. That is to say, they have let themselves become only half of a person in their marriage and how unhealthy that is, and also how unhappy-making that can be. I remember a couple in another church that I served 
who sat down and planned what they would do together when their kids left the nest, which was about to happen. And they decided that they would cultivate interests. And she took up horseback riding, which she had stopped doing when she was, um, a, but had loved as a child and was this personal passion. And he took up volunteering, I believe, at Habitat for Humanity. And together, they signed up to do ballroom dancing. And if I can just tell you how sparkly these two were in the next year, how they glowed when they would come in talking about their life together, fed by a life that was enriched by things they were doing separately that they were excited about, but also what they had chosen to do together that was giving them joy. And it was this relationship alive in the balance of both sides of the coin. So this balance of separateness and togetherness that feeds, it seems, strong relationships that remain strong through time. If I were to summarize a third theme that I heard, not surprisingly, it circles around how we hold the frustrations and irritations that come up in any relationship. How we learn to navigate hard conversations and hard moments as this skill that we have to learn as we go, that very few of us learn in our families of origin. Learning how to, for instance, see, kind of get up on the balcony and see and interrupt patterns that are not healthy or destructive or painful and find another way to lean into those moments that get us to a place that's deeper at the end and through those hard moments, in part so that we can step into and lean into hard conversations and moments instead of being afraid that they'll inevitably take us to these places we find ourselves going together that weaken us as a couple. How some people find and seek out mentors in the form of other couples or friends who seem to be able to do this well or go to counselors regularly or when they need to, to kind of check in, to break a pattern. How figuring out what it means for a couple or two people, and it can be different between people, to get through those moments was so key and something that had to be learned over time. And so was this idea of picking your battles. Sometimes, often, letting everybody be human, which is to say, making space in the relationship for everyone to be their sweet, imperfect self, so you can be your sweet, imperfect self sometimes. And Keeping it all, keeping all of what it is to be together in these moments in perspective. Gwen Burens said her mother used to tell her when things were tough to say, this too shall pass. Because that's true. The bad, the hard moments often do pass. But Gwen said what she has learned that her mother didn't say was to remember that the good passes also. 
So you have to hold it all tenderly. And with this open-handedness that soaks in the good as precious and fleeting, and the bad as momentary too. And find this as another tool for moving through it all to be together to face another day. And when the bad isn't momentary, when it endures, when you find you want more space in your togetherness and enjoy being together less and less and have less and less in common, when there isn't much reservoir of joy to hold you together and it seems impossible to build it up again, maybe a relationship has to end. People talked about that too. Marriages that ended, friendships that ended, love affairs that ended. Gordon Sherefinsky remembered a sermon that John Burens gave about endings. He remembers that when talking about the ending of relationships, John said that sometimes that choice could be a healthy choice too, offering the possibility of new growth and a movement forward, but also that the end of a relationship does not negate any of the growth and positive elements that that relationship offered while it was strong and vibrant. In other words, we can bring that lens of appreciation that we talked about at the beginning even to what ends and that the space we allow in our togetherness can be the space also to let one another go if we need to. All of these lessons and these skills that people shared with me that they had found in their life in relationship and often forged in the most connected and long-term relationships that they had, they were applicable for sure in their life with an intimate partner or a life partner or a best friend, but they were applicable everywhere. that as the preacher once said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny and whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly, that we live life in relationships, right? And our challenge is to learn how to do that with the same kind of intensity and accountability and nurture and intentionality that we can, that we learn often in these most intimate relationships, that we take the lessons we've learned there and we try to build reservoirs of goodwill out in the world wherever we go, that we let people be their unique selves but connected to the whole, that we figure out as fast as we can how to move through the difficult conversations to a place that makes us stronger and more connected. And we bring those skills everywhere we go, that we learn to live this perspective of appreciation and we turn that gaze toward others we encounter in life knowing that this loving kindness often helps every human life flourish and feel safe to bring its gifts, their gifts into the world, and that bringing their gifts into the world is part of 
what we hope to offer one another, an invitation to do, because it enriches all of us, and that we do all of this in this effort, in this life, part of whose obligation and invitation is to learn how to love well. As a central invitation of spirit and the very gift of life itself. Because as Richard from Texas rightly said to groceries, <laughs> in words that are true for each of us, you have the capacity to someday love the whole world. It's your destiny. Don't laugh. It's our destiny to give our hearts away and love as big as we can. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. I love you. Amen. My dear Valentines, ah, love. Love is in the air. Did you know that the Beatles mentioned the word love 613 times in their songs? I love the Beatles. Paul McCartney said this about love. It matters not who you love, why you love, when you love, or how you love. It only matters that you love. We need to learn to love ourselves first in all our glory and imperfections. If we cannot love ourselves, we cannot fully open to our ability to love others or our potential to create. End quote. And I would add, were our potential to continue to be created. You know, my silly Valentines, when we first met 10 years ago, I was so impressed by your smooth, quiet confidence and your leanings towards social justice. This so precious space, crowded comfortably with our hopes and aspirations, has become a home to me. A home so full of love and splendor, I had only to read the very writings on the walls to feel fully at home. On the one wall, it says, what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. And on the other wall, simply, the kingdom of God is within you. When I used to attend rainbow gatherings, all strangers were met with welcome home and warm fuzzy feelings would follow. This family of peoples here at UUSF have welcomed me home almost weekly for a decade. Ah, Valentines, in my weakest moments you were there for me, propping me up a year ago when I lost my mother, even sparking mirth when depression came a-calling. For gosh sakes, Valentines, you even have a dedicated Martin Luther King room and celebrate Darwin and Emerson, Thoreau and Bach. Whenever I volunteered as Poindexter the Clown, you showed me the same largesse and my balloon art came to be woven into the fabric of our community. Ah, Valentines, in your sacred space I have laughed and sung as we welcomed a whole new soul into our congregation, and I have cried and cursed at the loss of more than one good friend up here. You have helped me to know where there were loose ends and loosened knots where there were constricted creativity. You spread me out in a community way and gather me together when necessary. 
Sometimes loosening knots can open the way for big challenges in our lives. Sometimes loosening knots is enough. So my sunny Valentines, whoever you are, however you show up in this world, in whatever body or gender, sex or sexual orientation, whatever outfit, single or coupled, whatever age or ability, country of origin, any of the thousands of ways we are ourselves fully, may you know yourselves to be loved. Because I love you and how important you've become to me in our decade together. And part of what I love about you is how loved all of you make me feel. So let me offer it back. Happy Valentine's to you, all of you, my beloveds.